The history of Star Wars is the history of cinema. For everything you like about Star Wars, there is at least one film that inspired it. And we're going to review them all on Episode Zero. Episode Zero. This is the Star Wars Podcast, where we don't really talk about Star Wars. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And people call me guest star on KCRW. Ooh, fancy, fancy. Well, you and I both go on KCRW kind of on the regular. Well, about uh, once, once a month once or so. Once a month, month and a half, they usually ask us back. And yeah. I, I was on, uh, as of this recording, today. Yeah. As, as of this publication, Within the last few days. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad. Thank you. Always fun. Um, listen, uh, before we, we get going right now, we just want to acknowledge that um, there's a lot of crap going on in the world right now, and we thoroughly support all of the activists, uh, everyone out there uh, trying to make a difference, trying to uh, basically fix these horrible problems that we've got ourselves trapped in and uh we acknowledge that talking about the movies that inspired star wars as is the purpose of this podcast may not seem like the most important thing however everyone needs to to rest their mind once in a while and when you want to do that when you have a moment to do that we are here and that's what this is for we're not encouraging anyone to ignore the ills of the world we're encouraging people to when they need to take a short break and if you want to talk about movies that inspired Star Wars in that time, this is the podcast for you right now. So, uh, in the spirit of uh, looking in a slightly different direction, let's talk about a really grim environmental political thriller. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's full of sci-fi stuff, and which inspired in a, a really significant degree uh, the droids in Star Wars. Not so much the characters as their actual realization. Let's talk about Douglas Trumbull's absolutely phenomenal sci-fi sociopolitical thriller, Silent Running. A space convoy on a strange voyage carrying a rare cargo. The forests, the plants, the growing things doomed to extinction on Earth. We have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests and return our ships to commercial service. And we're going home! We can't blow up this forest. Silent running. Cataclysm in outer space. Every moment bringing its own danger as man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe. 
I, I grew up listening to the title Silent Running. It was like the Iger Sanction. These mm. were two movies that showed on TV a lot when I was a kid. You were, and, you were very aware that they existed. Uh, yeah, very, the, the titles drifted through my ears really frequently, but I never actually saw the movies. Mm. In fact, uh, this was the first time I ever saw Silent Running. Was, oh, what a treat. For this podcast. Uh, and both Silent Running and the Iger Sanction... So, like they sound very specifically it's like they take place in the Nixon administration yeah. and there's some kind of really heady political like sociopolitical intrigue going mm-hmm. on and you I finally got a chance I didn't actually watch it but I got to project at the New Beverly Cinema the Iger Sanction yeah. and it's just an assassin thriller yeah pretty like, generic it's, it's, assassin it, yeah, thriller it's like yeah. an action movie it's like the, there's no wit to this at all the title is more memorable than the yeah, film in yeah, fact yeah. I don't remember the film uh, yeah, <laughs> is Rutger Hauer in it? He's not in it, right? That can't I, possibly be right. No, I don't. Think I didn't so. think so. Yeah, no, that's how little I remember about the yeah. Iger Sanction. But Silent Running, and, and, I've and, been fond of for many years. And Silent Running sounds like a submarine movie. Yeah, I it thought, sounds like Run Silent Run Deep. I yeah. thought it was a World War II submarine movie. Ah, maybe but, maybe it wasn't the best title. Yeah, Silent <laughs> Running. It actually doesn't have a lot to do with the movie. Mm. Um, Silent Running stars Bruce Dern, uh, who you probably know from his incredible career of amazing character performances. Bruce Dern, you know, because he's Bruce Dern. Yeah, you more recently, <laughs> if you're only familiar with his more recent films, you probably saw him in films like Nebraska or The Hateful Eight. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, in the 1970s, he starred in quite a few very interesting films, one of which is this science fiction film, which takes place in the future. Uh, Earth has been commodified and corporatized and ruined. And indeed, the only forests left are being maintained on a giant space station run by Bruce Dern, Ron Rifkin, and a couple other actors who are probably less well-known than most. Cliff Potts and Jesse Vint are their names. There's only four actors. We may as well credit them all. <laughs> yeah, there's a few people like on, on like on the radio they talk to, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Um, Bruce Dern plays the guy who's in charge of actually maintaining the forest. And he walks, he walks around in these Jedi robes, just like communing (laughs) with falcons and, and little forest critters and rabbits and maintaining the plants and eating delicious, wonderful foods while all of his coworkers are wondering why forests are necessary and they eat processed crap and they go on joyrides and dune buggies that ruin all of the land. To be fair, those dune buggies look way fun. They do. They really do. These little tiny, like fast-moving golf golf carts with big tires, and, and they, they re- zip around, the and you recline in them too. Like mm. so it's like it's a relaxing race through the spaceship. <laughs> it's pretty neat. Mm. Um, and but, uh, uh, yeah, the forests themselves are uh, unfortunately a little underwhelming. Mm. It doesn't feel like he's wandering into a forest. It really feels like a ten by ten garden. Yeah, pretty it's just deep. this little tiny yeah. little thing that he's looking after. But it's supposed to be. They keep referring to the forest. So it, we're supposed to see these little tiny bits of dirt and think this is actually just a small piece of, of essentially a gigantic woods. And out the, in the middle of space, un, underneath these domes attached to this spaceship. The ship is really interesting, actually, because it's this very long corridor, basically, is the majority of the ship. And the uh, the forests are on these almost UFO-shaped domes that have, you know, obviously a lot of glass uh, covering them so that sunlight can stream through. And it's just covered in these bubbles of forests, which we don't really see a lot of them. I presume are probably from different parts of the planet. And 
yeah, this design, this ship design, became actually pretty iconic amongst the sci-fi community, and you'll notice that it would pop up again in a variety of other sci-fi projects, including uh, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Their big botany ship looks pretty much like this. Uh, also, the uh, the TV series The Star Lost, which we reviewed on mm-hmm. Cancel Too Soon. I was thinking of Star Lost a lot. Yeah. Uh, the visual effects for the first episode of Star Lost were done by Douglas Trumbull, who directed Silent Running. And in fact, didn't Douglas Trumbull, uh, he worked in, on, in special effects on a lot of films that you've seen. Uh, he wor- uh, He was the visual effects artist on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. Which is basically... There were visual effects, especially in terms of sci-fi space-faring visual effects. There were visual effects before 2001 A Space Odyssey, and then there were visual effects after 2001 A Space mm-hmm. Odyssey. And although different design aesthetics may have evolved, and Star Wars was certainly a more lived-in science fiction universe than 2001's uh, sparse, mm-hmm. uh, objectivist, scientific uh, uh, design... Uh, the way that those visual effects are implemented were functionally the same. Yeah. Um, it was a huge uh, a linchpin. The, and eventually we're going to cover it, actually. We need yeah, to do but, it on the show. But he also did the photographic effects for, like, Close Encounters and Star yeah. Trek The Motion Picture and uh, a couple others you've seen. Yeah. Uh, and he only ever directed two feature films. Uh, one was Brainstorm, the one with Christopher Walken, which I haven't seen, so I can't comment on it. It's a really interesting film, actually. It is about people who develop a, a device that allows people to record... Uh, people's experiences and you put on this headset it's like virtual reality and you can feel them it's like it's like the device in strange days yeah yeah. um and the plot really kicks in when one of the scientists puts on the headset to record their experiences as they're dying (laughs) so that you people are actually able to experience what it's like after you die cool really mind-bendy trippy stuff awesome motion picture very underrated much Mm. like silent running it has kind of Mm. An exciting premise, but ends up being a lot more thoughtful than you'd expect. Yeah, and yeah, Silent Running was the other film he directed. He directed it in 1972. Uh, this uh, was coming sort of on the tail end of the the hippie era. Mm. Uh, everyone says, you know, Summer of Love, Woodstock, and then uh, if you've seen uh, Gimme Shelter. M- M- Gimme Shelter, you just saw how everything fell apart. <laughs> yeah, um, like all in the same summer. Uh, so there was a lot of sort of echoes of peace, love, and understanding, but at the same time, there was a lot of cynicism. It had been destroyed at that point. We already yeah. had Easy Rider by now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, the fantasy uh, that hippies had of a world mm-hmm. where things could actually be nice, yeah. that just That's died, like, and people started angrily growing up and realizing, then just getting jaded by it, yeah. and the people who clung on to it uh, were seen as kind of sad (laughs) there's a a really great speech in uh, fear and loathing in las vegas of all things where he talks about how uh you know there was a sense that everything we we were doing was right and that and nowadays you know by the time he's saying this in the 70s Mm. he says you can go out into the desert and look west and with the right kind of eyes you can see the place where that wave broke and rolled back yeah. It just it, it didn't didn't hang on. So Silent Running comes right in the middle of this uh, sort of cultural crux when there is still a few lingering threads of idealism, mm-hmm. but we know that the battle is essentially lost. Yeah, uh, and capitalism will yeah. win, uh, cynicism will win, mm-hmm. and Bruce Dern thinks at the beginning of this story because they've been waiting in space, they've been waiting for a time where they can bring the forests back 
to Earth, replant them, and get Earth back started again and like restart our ecology. There's no particular mention of how Earth has air without any plants whatsoever. Presumably, mm-hmm. they've come up with a scientific way around it. Yeah. Just like they have synthesized food, they, they explain that. So, presumably, that's what's going on. But regardless, an issue. Bruce Stern is convinced that uh, they're about to get a big message. This is the first plot point. Mm-hmm. Okay, They're going to get a big message today. It's going to be a big announcement. And Bruce Stern assumes that we're bringing the Force back to Earth. And surely, since I'm the one who's been keeping them alive all this time, they'll put me in charge. Mm-hmm. And all their his compatriots he's, are he's like... he's looking forward to because he hates his compatriots. Yeah. He's clearly alone. Uh, he... Mm-hmm. he he gets into like bitter arguments with them, yeah, uh, and they don't they don't really like him. They're just saying, "Hey, man, lighten up. We we don't we don't care. We'll just eat your food." Yeah, no, no, they don't. They don't eat his food. They actually say like when no, he's, he's like he's saying eat eat. They're saying to him, "Eat your food." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Bruce Stern will be like eating a cantaloupe, mm. and they're like, "That's disgusting," mm. and they're eating basically processed cardboard because they don't have the taste <laughs> for it anymore. They, don't, they probably couldn't even digest it anymore. Um. So Bruce Turner is convinced that everything is going to be okay. And then, to his horror, the announcement comes in that we are abandoning the entire environmental protection project. And not only are we going to bring the ships home, you, you are currently ordered to blow up all the forests with nuclear bombs. Mm. It's not worth keeping them, keeping them like alive. Screw all of the plants and animals. Destroy them all. And all of Bruce Turner's friends are like, yee I like, can't wait to watch them blow. Well, they're, they're like, we get to go home. It's yeah. just like a, a long furlough for them. And they're just like, oh, finally, we get to go home. We'll just blow stuff up and leave. Isn't that great, Bruce? And Bruce is like, no, that's psychotic. <laughs> mm. Not only are we killing all of these life forms, but we are dooming humanity yeah. uh, to, a, to, a, to an existence completely devoid of any connection to nature. Mm. And he's just completely thrown for a loop by this. Now, um... The score uh, informs a lot of the attitude of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score was done by somebody named Peter Shickley, who you may know uh, as the originator of PDQ Bach. Do you know PDQ Bach? I've heard of him. Uh, my dad was a classical music nerd, and if you're a classical music nerd, you get to know the comedians who run in those circles. And, okay. and Peter Shickley came up with... Uh, like Bach had so many children and evidently there was one child who wasn't a, a very good composer mm. uh, of of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach named PDQ Bach who came up with all of these really weird uh, instruments and came up with all of these disastrous things where something re- went really, really poorly. Evidently he was uh, PDQ Bach was the inventor of an instrument called the pandemonium where, uh, Oh, that I've heard of. Yeah. You've heard of the pandemonium and yeah. He, well, to explain it to the audience in, in uh, the story goes that <laughs> PDQ Bach brought the pandemonium out to like a, a royalties crystal castle up in the mountains. And when they, all they know is that they had to test this instrument, and all we know is that the Crystal Castle is gone, and the entire royal family was wiped out that day. <laughs> Peter Shickley's really, really funny. If you can find the PDQ box stuff and you're a nerd, uh, you will love it. Uh, if you're really into, like, Tom Lehrer, you'd really love PDQ Bach. Uh, but uh, there's also a lot of... It almost sounds like it's like Marlo Thomas. It sounds a little bit like uh, that band Coven's song... One Tin Soldier. Oh, okay. uh, you're talking about the actual like song. The actual song. They're actually this, they're yeah. actually perf- they're written by uh, Peter Shickley yeah. and uh, Diane Lampert. They're performed by the great Joan Baez. Yeah, Joan Baez sings uh, sings the songs. Joan Baez 
You know Joan Baez. Uh, um, I hope you know Joan Baez. Uh, but like, yeah, she was. Fa- that's a one, that's one a good the, get for 1972. Yeah, one of the most famous folk musicians of the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s, uh, and it feels really hippie. Oh, it's super having, hippie. Having the Joan Baez music. Yeah. And it is all about this kind of pained, pitiful attitude about how things are kind of lost. Yeah. And so when we sort of are wandering around the ship with just Bruce Dern, we're hearing her voice. We're yeah. hearing Joan Baez's voice. And we're just sort of feeling a general sense of ennui. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I like the way this movie opens. This movie opens with this very beautiful, almost like... Um, mm-hmm. A documentary nobody talks about anymore called Microcosmos, which uh, was, uh, yeah, it's a really great it's nature a big, documentary. Big deal in the late 90s. Oh, huge deal when it came out. And for some reason, it just doesn't get talked about much now. I think just that the kind of thing it does has been done since. And, mm. uh, but Microcosmos was a documentary about uh, the smaller creatures of the earth. And it was just beautiful photography of insects mm. and things. And um, the opening montage of Silent Running under a Joan Baez song uh, is just nature. Frogs. It's turtles, it's mm. plants, it's rabbits. You would have no idea it's a sci-fi movie until gradually over the course of the montage, you, the camera starts pointing upward a little bit mm. and you realize that we're in some kind of biodome and then you realize we're in a spaceship. Mm. Uh, they are trying to immediately, right at the beginning, make you care about the forests. You're trying to make you care about the mm-hmm. little tiny creatures here. You're trying to make you care about Bruce Stern for caring for them. And then the first time you see any other people, they're drag racing around and destroying all of these things that Joan Baez just convinced you to love. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to talking about that opening sequence because I think it's, it's relevant later. But um, so we're clearly, the audience is clearly supposed to be on Bruce Stern's side. And I think the movie is well directed enough that it accomplishes that. When the time comes and they start blowing everything up, Bruce Dern like decides he can't stand for this mm-hmm. and he just holds guard by the door of one of the forests with a shovel and says, you can't blow this one up. And the one guy who was kind of his friend who didn't really agree with him, but respected that he had a difference of opinion. It's like, Hey man, I don't make the rules. This is going to happen whether or not I do it. Like mm-hmm. you could delay this, but they're just going to send more people. Yeah. Like we just, I'm just going to blow this thing up. It's, I'm sorry. It sucks. What are you going to do? They get in a fight. Bruce Stern kills the guy. And now he's basically stuck. Mm-hmm. He's only got two options. Either tell everybody, turn himself in and let the forest be destroyed or go all in on this. And so he sabotages the plan to destroy the last of the forests. He makes it look like he's had some kind of technical malfunction and he's just gone adrift in space, hoping that they'll just let him do that because they're going to blow it up anyway. He actually blows up part of the forest. Yeah, he blows up. Yeah, to make it look... Hmm. Look like they've done yeah. it, but he, yeah. he absconds with, uh, I think, two of the three domes, I think he saves. He saves at least one or two, yeah. and he ends up like hiding in the rings of Saturn, uh, hoping that no one will ever find him again. And he can yeah. just stay there with the plants... The forests, and notably, we haven't gotten to it yet, uh, two droids named Huey and Dewey. Their compatriot Louie sadly was destroyed in the uh, uh, in in the crazy traveling through the rings. Yeah, yeah, in the in the desperation to escape and save the forests. 
the rings of Saturn in this universe, by the way, are kind of like a haze or a storm. Yeah. It's not like a bunch of rocks. Yeah, I don't know if we knew exactly what they were at the time. I don't know how, how clear science no, was about it. Do we, do we know? We knew. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a whole sequence of like going through the rings of Saturn that was supposed to apparently be in 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm. but the technology wasn't there yet. So yeah. a couple of years later, so we're seeing like visual effects that were like supposed to be in the greatest sci-fi movie ever made. And now they're in this other really amazing sci-fi movie that nobody ever talks about. So it's a real treat. So another well, thing to watch if you love 2001. Silent Running, we've been talking about sort of the design of the ship and how there's forests under domes and they're flying through the rings of Saturn, all these spectacular things. But this is not a spectacle movie. It's no. not an action thriller at all. In fact, it's mostly about uh, solitude, not just being alone because he's alone with just robots at mm. one point. After, after this point of the movie, he, Bruce Dern's the only actor in it. Yeah. Uh, but also a kind of a philosophical sol uh, solitude, the way... Uh, how isolated you feel when you're you're the only one only one who's right. Yeah, you know you're the only one who's right. It's and almost no like, one else can even hear what you're having to say. It's almost like Walden, if you're familiar with Walden and the other you know, sort of uh, utopian ideal of just living alone uh, in, in, amongst nature and not interacting mm. with society. Except in Douglas Trumbull's film. Uh, you can't get further away from society. You're in the deep, darkest reaches of space. Yeah. Space is a, isn't just a spectacle, isn't just something to say, oh, look how awesome all this tech is. It's a, a metaphor for social and philosophical isolation. Yeah, yeah. And when you've essentially won the day, you've saved the forests, you're still fucked. <laughs> <laughs> you're still alone. Yeah. If anything happens to you, you're fucked. You, mm -hmm. There's a you point... Can, it, it's like... It's like winning an argument with some dickhead on the street. Yeah. It's like, okay, you won, but what do you have now? Yeah. A smug satisfaction for 15 minutes. That's all you really get. Yeah. You're still just as alone as you were before. Yeah. And Bruce Dern is at first content with this, but then you start to see it kind of weigh on him. Mm. Um, Bruce Dern, by the way, wonderful performance here and really greatly modulated. Douglas Trumbull, again, is a first time director. And I think it, it helps that he's got Bruce Dern to carry this movie because mm. Bruce Dern is such an interesting performer. But I think he directs Bruce Dern really beautifully. and We get a lot of nuance and uh, subtle character development out of this because Bruce Dern seems perfectly happy to not have any humans around. But gradually he starts programming Huey and Dewey, the two droids, uh, to be more human. Mm. He starts trying to teach them poker and also teaching them how to bluff. He starts teaching them like modes of behavior so that he can actually like into intuit that they care about each other. And that's really, really important for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, because the droids are indeed characters and they are portrayed uh, very intriguingly by multiple amputee actors. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they, 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 they're they moving around in interesting ways. There's people who are walking around clearly on their hands, but they're wearing like robot arms. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just very distinctive creations and they don't look like any other types yeah. of robots that we got in cinema until Star Wars came along. Uh, it, indeed. Uh, I, I was reminded of, uh, if, if you watch uh, Tarzan the Ape Man, mm. back from, what was that, 31 that movie came out? Around there. 31, 32. Yeah. Uh, we see a creature in there that they call a goonie bird. Mm. It's just this this uh, critter that's running through the forest around uh, around Tarzan that they've never seen before. And clearly it's an actor, mm. but it, it's it's an actor walking on their hands and they have no lower body. And that actually was Johnny Eck, ah. who uh, was also in uh, Todd Browning's films Freaks. 
Johnny Eck is um, one of the most interesting figures of early film yeah, history. Look up the, the life and times of Johnny Eck because he's really fantastic. There was a time when Leonardo DiCaprio wanted to play him in a biopic and it would have been really interesting. I think special effects weren't there because they would have to like use digital effects to remove his body. Well, but yeah, but Forrest, Forrest Gump had already been out. Yeah, yeah. So it was possible. But of course, the question is, should they not have gotten a multiple amputee actor to, to yeah, play the role yeah. anyway? But regardless, he's, but, he uh, led such an interesting life that people wanted to do these incredible yeah. like Oscar bait document uh, biopics about him. But yeah, they, they got uh, other actors who were uh, similarly afflicted and uh, put them in robot suits and they were walking around on their hands. Yeah. And they and give so- these really interesting performances. Uh, kind of, they don't speak it's mm-hmm. just the physical performances uh, but they we do get a lot of personality from the robots mostly from Bruce Dern yeah. who's sort of reacting to them in a, in a way where he they like kind of make some beeps and boops and he pretends like they're speaking mm-hmm. and that is something that would show up in Star Wars yeah R2-D2's where, language mm-hmm. which was developed by Ben Burtt uh, was clearly had some influence on this in fact the visual effects in this movie had a pretty big influence on Star Wars because uh, in order to keep production costs down, Mm. uh, this is not a huge production, Douglas Trumbull hired a lot of people right out of school to do things like models and miniatures. And one of the people that he hired for their very first feature film work was a man named John Dykstra, (laughs) who would go on to become a visual effects legend thanks to the next movie on his resume, Star Wars Episode Four. Yeah, this this had a very direct through line and the creation of C-3PO uh, as a droid that doesn't look human, but is indeed uh, acted and performed by a human actor mm. in the in the suit, if you will, um, is clearly a direct through line from Silent Running to there. It's also interesting to know that Silent Running had an even more direct impact on another beloved sci-fi property, specifically Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> the overall <laughs> look and yeah. feel. Yeah, if you're wondering how he eats and breathes and other science facts. Yeah, just read to yourself, it's just a show. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, if anyone is unfamiliar with it, Whitney and I are huge fans. It was a show that premiered in the late 80s and then persisted in through the late 90s and then it recently had a resurgence on Netflix and it is about a guy trapped in isolation in outer space with a couple of droids. Uh, and in Mystery Science Theater 3000, the only thing he has for entertainment is he's forced to watch the worst movies ever made and him and the droids uh, do wisecracks. But the overall vibe, and this is especially true in the early Joel years where there was a little bit more melancholy to the way Joel played it. Like he was a little sad and mm-hmm. sleepy a lot of the time. Like he's, he's, he's just, not doing well up there. He's just a laconic performer, but yeah, no, that's how it read. I think the overall, I think especially early on, I think it's very, very clear that he's trying to do Bruce Dern a little bit <laughs> in terms of like his overall, Which, just sort of appearance, his jumpsuit. Um, Bruce Dern probably odd. has that jumpsuit. It's a little odd, though, because uh, I grew up watching Bruce Dern in films like The Burbs, where he's oh, just, like, really wildly the... over the top. And, oh, uh, and The Burbs is one of the best movies of the 80s. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. People but, people do not talk about it enough anymore. That's one of the funniest movies ever made. It's really bizarre. Like, it's hard to define that movie. No, but, uh, it's so weird. But, my God, I think it's Tom Hanks' best comedic performance. But, uh, yeah, Bruce... I'm used to seeing Bruce Dern when he's in freak-out mode. Yeah. And it's... 
it's rare where we actually get to watch him underplay. Did you ever see uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Family Plot? No. Oh God, people do not talk <laughs> about this enough. Uh, Alfred Bruce Stern co-starred in Alfred Hitchcock's last movie. It was mm. called Family Plot. And when I was growing up, the common line of thinking was that Family Plot was not terrible, but clearly like C grade Hitchcock. Yeah. I finally watched Family Plot when they put out that big Blu-ray set a few years back. Mm. Family Plot fucking rules. <laughs> Family Plot is this incredibly clever, like, Coen Brothers-esque crime comedy mm. about uh, a, a, a woman and, a, 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 like, two lovers and their fake psychics. That's their shtick. And they've been hired to try to find someone uh, who has, unbeknownst to him, inherited a fortune. What they don't realize is that the person that they're trying to find is a daring jewel thief who doesn't want to be found. <laughs> oh, God. So, so he doesn't understand why these two kooks are trying to catch him and he's trying to kill them, even though they're just trying to give him money so that they can get a small commission. It's that's that's like total Hitchcock. It's, plot. That's so it's great. clever. Yeah. It's funny. Bruce Dern is amazing in it. Everyone's good in it. Please see Family Plot. It gets such a bum rap. It is so good. Mm. I love Bruce Dern. I've interviewed Bruce Dern once. He was really nice. Bruce Dern rules. Um, anyway, moving on to Silent Running. Uh, as always, we're going to walk you through the entire film. So if you want to uh, uh, pause right now and not have the whole movie ruined for you, we understand. Mm. Of course, we encourage it. Well, you know but what? if you just want a primer. You know, we don't have to. We don't uh, have to. Because if, if we're going to talk about sort of the way this influenced Star Wars. And I think yeah. the ending, uh, while, while bleak, actually doesn't influence Star Wars. Well. Uh, in fact, because Silent Running is actually a very... Uh, not cynical... Well, it, it is a cynical movie, but it's also a very... Uh, kind of a hopeless movie. And I don't think I feel it's hopeless. Like, I don't think that's the right way to put it. I, well, I think not, maybe not hopeless. I think but the idea is that here's the thing what I will say about Silent Running, mm -hmm. and we're, I'll follow your lead. We're not going to spoil the whole third mm -hmm. act of the movie for you. Um, suffice it to say that the forest might not be doing well, mm -hmm. and Bruce Stern doesn't understand why the forest is dying until towards the end of the film, and he's got to figure out a way to save the forest and maybe himself in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, in the we, end, we, the we droids... The well, yeah. we get the sense that the isolation that he has always felt, and in a way sought, mm -hmm. he did take a job going up into space just yeah. with a few other guys to look after trees, yeah. uh, is actually also his undoing. Yeah. And his devotion to the forest is also unraveling him mentally yeah. because he can't take care of it by himself. He doesn't appreciate... Mm -hmm that part of nature is a connection to your own species and that in losing his connection to humanity, he loses himself. Well, in, in a big way, I think it's arguing that there's no such thing as, um, as purity, mm. which is something humans seek. We seek purity mm. in, in various endeavors, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, purity and the job that you're working has to be just the right way to, I need my bowl of cereal to be just, you know, filled mm. so high. Or purity of ideals and principles. Yeah, yeah. Or, all, all of yeah. these things. This is actually a very important part of the human condition. And it's been argued time and again by many philosophers that this notion of purity that we're constantly seeking uh, doesn't really exist because it's imaginary. It's, well, it's, it's the same thing. It's where... Uh, the word utopia comes from utopia. If you try like go to the root of the word actually means place that doesn't exist. It's supposed to be imaginary. See, see, I would argue that just because it's not, you know, 
real mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not significant because the pursuit of an ideal, the pursuit of purity no, no, is what drives us and what drives course. us to make things better. I think that's yeah. important. Well, it's, it's and I think that's I think that's important to the movie. It's important. It's what we live for, yeah. whether or not it exists. Exactly my point. Yeah. I just want to make sure that and, that was yeah. that was uh, that was addressed. But it's it's about how our our devotion to our ideals is the thing that drives us. It's the thing that makes us live, and it's also the thing that will ultimately be our undoing. Yeah. Uh, I, I find the the ending of this movie to be incredibly hopeless. Uh, See, I don't actually. You don't? I no, I actually don't. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it because right. there's actually something. Um, that's incredibly melancholy about it. That's right. that's for certain. But I also think that there is a sense that without humanity, mm. perhaps nature will find a way. And that's something I want to talk about in relation to how it affects the droids. Mm. That whole opening sequence where we get in touch with nature, mm-hmm. um, I think has a parallel towards the end where Bruce Stern has programmed the droids to take care of forests. Mm. And what we realize is that even though the droids are artificial and they were made by man and they were made to do mechanical tasks Mm. tasks that arguably have nothing to do with nature and environments that are covered with logos like the whole like the whole cargo bay is sponsored by coca-cola and american airlines and and they got the actual logos on oh yeah yeah this was before even that kind of like product placement was constantly talked about as a negative like the way it is like Mm. now but it's spot on. Well, it's, it, it, it's done with a point. It wasn't oh, yeah. just just random no, I mean, product placement. I, what I mean is that the sort of subversion that we sometimes have with something like Wayne's World, where like, yeah. I will not bow to any sponsors. You're wearing all this Reebok shit. Mm. Uh, Silent Running was tapping into that, I think, a little earlier than a lot of other filmmakers were. Um, it's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just real sad. <laughs> I can't do this. It's giving me a headache. Take some Nuprin. Mm. <laughs> Remember Nuprin? Little. Yellow. Different. That that doesn't play at all anymore. <laughs> no. Nobody remembers those. New I barely remembered that when it came out. <laughs> I think it's clear because they're obviously doing a bit, but like, yeah, no one's gonna just flat out recognize that from Wayne's World. Anyway, um, but I think the idea of silent running and the way that the movie uses the technology on display mm-hmm. is that it's arguing that technology becomes a part of nature, and that the thing that we use to uh, keep nature alive becomes part of a biome, becomes mm. part of an ecosystem, and all of these artificial mechanical things uh-huh. that, by all rights, we should have no connection to. By the end of the movie, I think we do have a connection to Huey and Dewey. And the mm. end of the movie, I think we do feel the, a similar way about them as we do about mm. R two D two and C three PO or Croti Robot and Tom Servo. They don't talk, but I I cared. About those little guys. And as a result, seeing that the movie finds a place for them, even if it is bittersweet and maybe ultimately hopeless. I'll allow that. That's not my interpretation. But even even if that's the case, I think there's something really beautiful about that. Mm. I I cry every time I watch this movie. I find that ending just incredibly... I mean, there's a lot there. You could look at it as as hopeless, and there's definitely an element of that. But I think there's a nugget of hope. No, I mean, he's... Without ruining it. Without ruining it. uh, Without ruining it. The the story isn't over. Arguably. Uh, There's an element of ambiguousness to it. Where will it go from here? Yeah. Um... Do you ever read the Martian Chronicles? I didn't actually. Okay, there's there's a chapter in the Martian Chronicles, uh, where... Uh... People have moved to Mars. People have been wiped out from Mars. It's pretty well known now. The whole Uh, chronicle. Yeah, it's many, many chronicles, in fact. Plural. 
And uh, there's a really wonderful chapter in the Martian Chronicles about an automated house, this really state-of-the-art house that's on Mars, and nobody lives there anymore. And the entire story is about how all of the automated things in the house, things like preparing coffee in the morning and getting like the paper ready and setting out clothes for all the people who once lived there, are just going to keep on going. And the house, like, has a voice, and it's very polite, and it's getting rid of the trash, and even though the trash is empty because nobody's been throwing anything out, it just bundles it up and throws it away, and it's about how these mechanical things are going to just sort of automatically continue without us. Yeah. Regardless. And how We created of, life. We created a system. But the house doesn't feel anything. It's, it's just sort of this sad thing about how... It's almost like this Ozymandias quality. We leave okay. these monuments behind that are performing these meaningless tasks. But here's the difference. And not constructing or destroying anything. They're just sort of going through their cycles here's, here's, in their sad little hamster Sisyphusian existence. Here, here's why I disagree with that. Because mm. I think that what Bruce Dern is trying to protect in Silent Running mm. isn't people, isn't progress. It's just life. And if mm. we create a system mechanical, repetitive though it may mm. be, if that system exists to keep, for example, plants and animals alive, mm. then I don't see that as hopeless. I see that okay. as something that is becomes a vital part of perpetuating life and hope itself. Mm. So I think that there is definitely an element of maybe faint, but hope. Okay. And I find that very sad because, as you say, there is an element of hopelessness, mm. or at least a fear of it, yeah. that I think is there as well. It's a it's it's a complicated movie, actually, and it doesn't like give mm. you these pat ideas. Yeah. Bruce Dern is an idealist, and I fully support the idea of trying to protect nature and the rainforest at any at any cost. Mm. At the same time, he also kills a guy who was nice to him he also (laughs) like does some pretty bad things in order to accomplish that goal arguably the good outweighs the bad but there's still some bad there yeah well he does he he kills i I was reminded of a song by a a novelty band called the arrogant worms called carrot juice's murder about uh, it's an old it's a parody of folk songs about how you know don't think that they don't have feelings just because a radish can't scream. It's, it's, uh, you know, I've heard the screams of the vegetables, watching their skins being peeled, yeah. grated and steamed with no mercy. It's, uh, you, you know, making fun of, of uh, you know, uh, certain sentiments within folk music. Uh, this just it applies it to vegetables. And here we have a movie about a guy who commits murder in order to protect a forest. Yeah. Uh, the f- life in the forest is more important to him than human life. Yeah. Because the human life we've seen is kind of lost. Humanity is gone. Yeah, he is He is he, using, yeah. and, and only as a last resort, mm-hmm. the movie is pretty clear to show us, he is using uh, uh, violence and illegality to defend what is right and what is helpless mm-hmm. From a corrupt and soulless system. And I gotta tell you something. Parallels. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> this is a, this is something that we deal with in the world constantly. The idea that things are broken. What is right and what is wrong is actually pretty...
pretty clear cut, but people complicate it by with things like, oh, but we have to do our jobs, and oh, we have to make money, mm. and oh, we have to worry about the economy, and mm. all of these things that basically make it harder to do the right thing. And or at least harder for some people to acknowledge what the right thing is. For Bruce Stern, it's very, very simple, and it leads him down a difficult path that is very, very painful to him. And I love that the movie doesn't just portray him as purely heroic. That would have been easy and maybe even satisfying. Mm. But that shows him as listen, in the end, I'm on his side. This is such an extreme. Mm. I, I I wish he didn't have to kill anybody to do it, but like <laughs> yeah, he, seriously. Yeah, that that sucks. But at the same time, literally they're committing like there's so many Star Trek episodes about this. Like, do we have a right to destroy one species? We're destroying literally every other mm. living organism that ever existed yeah. on Earth other than humanity. That is mm. horrifying and really something we shouldn't be doing. Yeah, well, and, and poor Bruce Dern is the one who is essentially polishing the silver on the Titanic. Yeah. Uh, everything was lost before this mission was even launched. Yeah. It was it was a, it was a long shot in the first place, and honestly, there's a part of me like I, I, this is headcanon. There's not, there's nothing. No, but I'm just I'm looking at what the movie gives us. All right, and I'm just sort of extrapolating from here because they we go on this big mission. We're going to protect all of these uh, 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 forests mm. with a skeleton crew. Yeah, four guys who are there for many years longer than they thought they would be. Mm. I think this was supposed to be a thing that just shows that see we kind of care. And then we're just going to let the whole project yeah. die after a few years. And I think in my head, the problem is Bruce Dern was so good at keeping them alive that they couldn't just cancel the project and say, well, it failed. Mm. They probably expected it to fail. They probably expected it to just prove that it wasn't worth it. And in the end, Bruce Dern kept it alive for so long. They just had to say, fuck it. We have no reason. <laughs> we have no reason. Well, uh, There's no good reason for it. Well, we need more ships. Build more fucking ships. Fuck you. Uh, it's a wildlife is, preserve, and this is where uh, where some like holes in the writing start to appear. Uh, I think, despite Bruce Dern's very good performance, despite his ability to project a lot of personality and wit and indeed life into the robots, which have some life because they're played by human actors. Yeah, uh, they're. Um, you once criticized uh, Avatar for not uh, letting us know what unobtainium was, and that's actually a big sort of problem with that it, screenplay. It's not my problem. Uh, to, to clarify, my, my issue with Avatar, the whole thing is the humans want to get unobtainium from the planet Pandora, and they need it one way or another, and if they can't get it through diplomacy, they will get it through violence. My problem never is explain what obtainium is used for. Exactly. Yeah, it's not it's, what it is. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a rock or a fluid or whatever. Yeah. My thing is this. Why do we need it so yeah, bad? Is one, it fuel? Does it cure a disease? Yeah, what does it yeah. do? And that would have motivated the humans so much more than just saying, we want this stuff. And, and there's also this idea of, um, like, we're fighting for Earth, or we're doing something for Earth, but in the theatrical cut of Avatar, we don't know what Earth looks like. And yeah. if you get the extended cut on video... Uh, they actually do have one scene on Earth, and we actually see that it's kind of a hellhole. Yeah, which puts things into like a little bit more context. Doesn't you know save the movie or anything? No, but, but it shows why it shows why the protagonist is mm. so eager to lose himself in this more beautiful world. Mm. It also, at the same time, explains why 
like people are trying so hard to fight for humanity and are so desperate yeah. to do bad things in order to save the human species because mm. Earth is fucked. Yeah, we, we could have had a lot richer film uh, of Silent Running, I think, if we got a lot more of a complete picture as to what Earth was. We don't necessarily have to have scenes on Earth. But mm. uh, think of like the ship in Wall-E yeah. where everybody's just sort of plugged into machines and their their minds have been kind of turned into mush by consumerism. Mm -hmm. We, I mean, that's a really thuddingly obvious movie, but there could have been. Well, Silent Running isn't bit... exactly. Exactly. I, I, I think it's yeah. nuanced, but I wouldn't call it subtle. No, it's, I think there's a lot fact, of different it's, shades to it, but it's its message is pretty not, clear. But I think uh, we would have had a little bit if we had a little bit more context, it would have enriched the movie greatly. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of different ways you could have done that. Um, you could have. Uh, when they were communicating with other ships, we could have seen those other ships. Mm. Um, we, it's clearly a world where consumerism runs rampant. We could have had commercials, yeah, like them yeah. watching TV and being you know bored by it. That would have been a kind of a passe commentary, but it would have fleshed out the the, cont the context yeah, we, of the world. In we which could, they we could have had a whole act where Bruce Dern is just sort of taking care of the forest, not talking to to the rest of the crew. Yeah, and they're just sort of going about their business, and we get to hear their conversations. They talk about what they're going to do when they get back home. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to the feelies, you know, whatever you want. Uh, well, meanwhile, Bruce Stern is wearing like, get, he's wearing his Jedi robes essentially. And he's clearly like the hippie in the background that nobody's paying attention to. Uh, there's, there's a lot more material that can be explored within silent running that I think would, would have made its messages a lot clearer. Um, while we're talking about the screenplay, we should probably take note that this uh, screenplay actually has a really crazy pedigree. Like, <laughs> it's weirdly strong. I, I forgot about this when I rewatched it and I was just watching the opening credits. I had to pause the film just to make sure the screenwriting credits were actually what I thought they were and not like two guys who had like similar sounding names. So the screenplay was written by three different people. Uh, one of whom is Derek Washburn, who you probably aren't familiar with by name, uh, but he's best, he's most famous for writing this and the deer hunter. Also credited as screenwriters. We have Michael Cimino <laughs> who wrote, who co-wrote the deer hunter, who directed the deer hunter and who almost single handedly destroyed directorial vision being respected and and having money thrown at it by studios with the box office failure called heaven's gate heaven's gate has such I, now i haven't seen heaven's gate and i haven't I've read, seen all of it i've read some reviews and from what i understand it's it's fine it's okay yeah. like it's overblown but it's not a terrible movie but it was yeah. such a bomb that yeah it's considered one of the worst of all time yeah heaven's gate is this big american epic of the frontier and yada 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 something that would have played really well in like the 30s yeah yeah this big giant thing but michael Cimino just the production budget exploded mm -hmm. and there was no way for the movie to make its money back and in the years that followed there are other movies that have lost arguably more money and have become sort of the go-to punchline but for about a solid decade <laughs> like the whole like ah oh, is this movie gonna cost as much as heaven's gate that was the reference yeah. That this movie that's cost too much and is not going to make its money back. From, it was Heaven's Heaven, Gate. When did Heaven, Heaven's Gate was 80? 80. 80. 80 yeah. Was like 80 or 81. And yeah, I think it wasn't until Waterworld in 1997 when the joke, the punchline changed. Uh, yeah, I think that was, I think it was Waterworld. I think it was the one guy. Yeah. It helped that Waterworld had a funny name. Waterworld. Yeah. It, it sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. Waterworld is also not that bad. It's also not that good. Uh, yeah, but, but it, it caught, 
an okay action movie shouldn't cost that much. No, it, no, 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 no. The highest gonna... production budget in film history up to that point. Yeah, and it just you 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 don't quite see where the money went. It feels like he could have done most of this in a tank on the Paramount. Lot, well, yeah, they they built. Know? It takes place on water. It's difficult to film on water. They yeah. built a floating set which sank every day. <laughs> Like oh, I had to, I, I don't know how many sets they had to build, but it was multiple sets. They and they went, they went way out into the out ocean into for the this. Ocean there was and, yeah. no fucking need. Just point the camera away from the shore. He would have been fine. They, they Titanic, just like just in a tank. I know. <laughs> like, anyway, but the other writing credit on this, yeah. television producer extraordinaire Stephen Bochco. The guy who created Doogie Howser and NYPD Blue. Yeah, and a bunch of other shows that weren't as famous, like <laughs> NYPD 2069. What? Which I've been trying to find for Cancel Too Soon. It was like a failed pilot <laughs> for a futuristic cop show. He also wait, 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 wait. Go on. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry. 2004, uh, there was a... Uh, directed by Gregory Hoblet, who directed the oh, movie okay. Fallen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it had a pretty decent cast. Uh, it was it starred uh, Giancarlo Esposito and Anna Gunn, both of whom would go on to star in Breaking Bad, um, and uh, yeah, it's about a cop who was cryogenically frozen and awakened sixty six years later, and uh, basically it's Demolition Man. No, but yeah. um, whatever. I like Demolition Man. Fuck it. Um, so yeah, that was apparently a pilot that didn't go anywhere, and I've been trying to track that down for Cancel Too Soon for a while. Wow. Um, he also uh, created. Uh, let's see. He created Brooklyn South, uh, Murder One, which was a great television series. It only lasted two seasons, but uh, it was just a real deep dive into. You know, most legal shows only have like one case a week. Mm. They would have one case for an entire season, at least the first season. So you would really get every single piece of a grand, giant, like O.J. Simpson if, style. If, if, if you can get that to sustain, then that's yeah. a great idea. Um, but uh, yeah, he, Stephen Botchka, he also did Cop Rock. So he's a legend. Oh, yeah. He's a legend in television. And um, he also wrote Silent Running. Weird. <laughs> kind of an that's odd a, one. <laughs> that's a, that just sort of pops out. He also wrote a TV movie remake of Double Indemnity a year later. Well. Who knew? <laughs> um, but uh, oh, he also he he also created a TV series I got to track down for Kansas soon called Gemini Man about a guy who could take a pill that makes him invisible for fifteen seconds, and they edited it down. They for edited it seconds. I know it's weird. They edited it like it's, this was common. They would like take a television series in the nineteen seventies, and they would take a couple of episodes and they would turn it into a movie, usually for international audiences. Um, there's a, a Gemini Man movie called Riding with Death, and it has one of the best plot descriptions on IMDb ever. Riding with Death was on Mystery Science Theater. Was it really? <laughs> it, was, it was one of the later episodes. Oh my god, I need to see that now. Uh, but uh, the 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 plot synopsis mm. is a uh, dim-witted meaty guy foils criminals by turning invisible. <laughs> that's the plot synopsis on imdb when it's a lot of editorializing I, I, for well, a plot I, synopsis I, i'm pretty sure that's a that sounds like a mystery science theater gag probably Dim, true meaty guy is, is a mystery science theater phrase. it sounds about right yeah. he also he also uh, developed uh, the tv series the invisible man which we will cover in cancel soon yeah. at some point so steven botchko i mean that's he like, has an interest in sci-fi yeah. it just wasn't the majority of his career um, and, uh, yeah, it's hard to say what he contributed to this. I'd be very curious to read like the Michael Cimino mm. draft before Stephen Bochco got to it because 
not everyone knows this. When you look at uh, writing credits in movies, sometimes there will be mo- multiple names, and the multiple names will be separated with the word and, A-N-D. And sometimes they're separated with an ampersand, which is that symbol that means and. In screenwriting credits, there's actually an important distinction. If there is an ampersand used, that mm. means that those writers worked together at the same time. Mm. If there is the word and spelled out, it means that they're that person came around after the previous right. writers who mm. are credited and worked on it without their input. Right. So Stephen Bochco worked without Michael Cimino mm. and um, oh, the other guy. <laughs> and, the, and the original screenwriter. The, uh, well, no, it's the, it's Michael Cimino worked with the other guy. Uh, the other guy was uh, Derek Washburn. Yeah. Um yeah. I I really love Silent Running. I so I, I actually like how bleak it is. I'm I'm yeah. not criticizing it for being bleak, but I do mm. think it is a very bleak film. And uh I f- I feel like it's pointing in the direction of a lot richer, more interesting ideas. It is only 89 minutes. I mm-hmm. think this one could have benefited with like an extra 10 or 15. You think? Just to let the world breathe a little bit more. I can see that. And also maybe a better budget for the interiors. The, sh- the ship stuff was really good, and clearly they're spending a lot of money on it to make it look good, but mm-hmm. I want a little bit more awe when I look at the forest. The forest, they probably should have shot more in actual forests. Yeah, and then they, like, used... cheated it and made it look yeah. like it was... And then, like, indoors. when we use, like, the wide shot, or there'll be, like, shots like where we tilt upwards. Or... A, like, the dome over a real That forest. probably would have been wise, and that probably would have... It would have been nice to have gotten a sense of epicness from it because yeah i feel like um the sci-fi movie high life which came out a year ago year and a half ago now about a year ago yeah um that the 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 garden in that movie is basically the size of like a one-bedroom apartment i feel Mm. like that's more on the scale of what silent running actually accomplished even though when we look at the ship it's clear it's supposed to be a lot bigger than that yeah Yeah. um but i love silent running too i'm really really glad you liked it too i was worried Mm. um I thought it was up your alley, but you never know, you know, yeah, like, yeah. uh, but there, yeah. there's some movies that are right up my alley and I still don't like them. It's so. a melancholy movie and I typically don't watch them for fun, but I'm glad I had an opportunity to watch this melancholy movie again, because it is really beautiful. I think it has salient points to make, uh, about, uh, not just environmentalism, but also activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, also I think as I, I thought it was interesting about the connection between, uh, the machines man creates and how they become part of the world rather than a separate invasive entity and how they can actually like work in unison. I think that's really interesting. Um, and again, how it affects star Wars. Well, and I, the reason I brought up this whole point of its bleakness is because it actually stands in strong contrast to star Wars, which was eventually retitled a new hope, uh, and about sort of hope rising again in the face of fascism. And uh, and as we talked to a lot before, we've noticed that George Lucas has sort of patterned his career on being very suspicious about the future, uh, not being interested in the present, and f- wanting to escape into the past. Yeah. All of his uh, films are set in the past, and they all, except for THX 1138, mm-hmm. and all of the ones set in the past are very halcyon, they're very nostalgic. This feels uh, like it could be like in the same universe as THX 1138. Yeah, yeah. You know, like THX 1138 was after a, this, but not that far it's after not, this. It's not quite as, as sharp or as stark as THX 1138, mm. but it's that same kind of dystopia. Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah, we're taking a lot of the elements from this kind of bleak film, this bleak, I, I would say it's kind of a pessimistic film, and putting it into a world where there is 
essentially nothing but optimism. There is not a second in Star Wars where you think, oh, no, they're just going to get away with it. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to shoot it down the... And Luke is dead. Yeah, and the Both Empire heads, just wins yeah. and we're done. Yeah, That's not really where the movie is going. No, no, no. no. I, I would love, love to see an, like a big, gigantic summer action blockbuster where the not even focusing like on the portent. Oh no, it's so sad mm. that the heroes are dying out where the heroes like, oh, okay, I'm almost there. They just get blown up and they just roll the credits. Yeah. Like their journey. Ends not even that their abruptly. sacrifice yeah. led to the death star plans getting. So Nope. Just failed. They, they, they just failed. Period. It's the Manny Bothan story. Um, <laughs> I think there's a few more connections to star Wars though. I think, okay. Again, obviously the actual physical creation of R2D2 owes a lot to the physical creation of Huey and Dewey mm. in silent running. And of course, R2D2 is a very iconic creation in cinema and practical effects. Huey and Dewey are not lauded as such, but I think they deserve a place in the sci-fi hall of fame. Hmm. Um, I, I really do love them as creations. Um, but uh, also I find it very interesting the way that silent running is about working class people and the way that the larger uh, uh, elements, the, the larger politics at play hmm. affect people and drive them to do the right thing. And I think there's an element of that, particularly in a new hope, where you see someone like Han Solo, who is just trying to do his own shit and mm. pay off his debts, and how he is driven by uh, proximity to people who care more than him. It's like if Ron Rifkin in this movie saw the light at the end and saved Bruce Dern and the forests in a big, heroic, cool thing where he shot some bad guys. Mm. There's something... Yeah, you're right. It's more hopeful. It's a story about a, a a new hope, but I do think there's that working class element to it, and I also think, I think our sympathy for droids mm -hmm. is earned in Silent Running and a bit taken for granted in Star Wars. But because we had learned from Silent Running how to humanize those kinds of artificial characters, mm -hmm. Star Wars could run where Silent Running crawled. Yeah. Um, so. Anyway, it's an interesting film. It's a beautiful film. I do hope you check it out. Uh, it is available on a variety of it's streaming in, services, uh, usually for a small rental fee, good. but it's it, worth checking yeah. out. It, it's very nice. It's very of its time. Oh, uh, sure. It, it does feel uh, a little dated. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have pointed to Star Wars as it being sort of timeless, apart from like the 70s fashion. Yeah, the, the haircuts the, the, yeah, or the, something. The, but, the heroism yeah. and like the adventure does feel kind of timeless. I, I yeah. think it feels that way because so many films just sort of imitated it that... We've been living in the shadow of Star Wars since then. Yeah, and that's, that's just part. what action films feel well, like it, now. It but, also uh, felt like it was of the piece uh, of the films of the past as well. Yeah, so and it, it, so it does, the it does future, have this so it's timeless quality. Yeah, it's just a uh, centerpiece. Silent Running, I think, uh, is a, a salient environmental allegory for any time. Yeah, and I do think it it does have a, a little bit of sourness about of uh, causes. Yeah, uh, I'm guessing. I'm I'm sensing a lot of uh, films like. Uh, uh, leave no trace and, yeah. and people who sort of try to live by their ideals and just can't mm. uh, floating over silent running. I wish it were a little bit more focused, but I still loved everything that was in here. Yeah. Especially the entire act where Bruce Stern is by himself mm -hmm. trying to maintain his humanity by talking to these robots and essentially convincing himself that what he did was a good thing even though he's a murderer <laughs> yeah I, I i will say this i forgot one more thing and it's a detail mm. but i think when you look at how john dykstra uh you know worked on this film and then worked on star wars um there is a 
there's an attention paid to the way people on spacecrafts amuse themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a very clear parallel between the sort of circular pool table <laughs> that Bruce Stern plays in, uh, it's like, in this yeah, uh, it's like snooker. Or, yeah. yeah, but it's, but it's circular. It's not like a version that we're familiar mm -hmm. with. Um, and the circular holographic chess set. In, oh yeah, with the little little critters on it. Yeah, in in uh, Star Wars: A New Hope, particularly with people trying to amuse themselves by playing with droids who are working on a different level. Yeah. Um, and uh, indeed, Bruce Stern finds himself struggling with whether or not these things are letting him win or not because yeah. they are robots How, and they are computers are, are these things no it, are you conscious no 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 you're no not sure maybe maybe um, no 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 okay i'm freaking out now anyway i love silent running thank you for listening to us talk about silent running we hope you check it out if you haven't seen it or rewatch it if you haven't had an opportunity in a while uh we'll be back next week on episode zero with a film that most people haven't heard of and I've never seen, but I know why it is one of, weirdly, the most influential movies of all time. And we'll discuss why. <laughs> it's called Distant Drums, and it is the origin of one of the most recognizable sound effects in movie and indeed Star Wars history. Are we going to tell them what it is or are we going to be coy? We'll be coy. Okay. You might... you you. You, you will recognize it. I guarantee you. If you've been listening to our show and watching these movies, you've been watching Star Wars movies and the movie Star Wars Influence, you will recognize the sound effect. Because mm. it is completely distinctive and amazing. Yeah. Um, so it's a very specific influence, but I'm glad we're able to, to take the time and focus on it while we're also doing all of these big epic classics yeah, there, there, and, there are, and groundbreaking visual effects films. There, and, there are little things we want to like sort of stop and look at it as, as well because there's no shortage. Uh, and it is the it is the Western film Distant Drums. So come come join us for Distant Drums. Very, very excited. I've never seen it before and I cannot wait. Um, thank you very much for listening. And of course, uh, if you want to write in about some of the stuff we've talked about on this episode or indeed anything at all, mm. you can write letters at criticallyacclaimed.net and we may read your email on our podcast, We've Got Mail, here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. We also have a ton of other shows here at the Critically Acclaimed Network, so be sure to check out Cancel Too Soon, Critically Acclaimed, also at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a ton of exclusive content, including polls to decide future episodes of shows like uh, Cancel Too Soon and Critically Acclaimed. Uh, we have a podcast dedicated entirely to Firefly, podcast dedicated entirely to Star Trek, podcast dedicated entirely to forgotten films from Disney, uh, podcasts uh, dedicated to every film ever nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh, we've got uh, Discord Hangouts, um, tons of stuff. And as soon as you sign up, you'll have access to quite a few hours of entertainment, no matter what tier you wind up in. So, Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, stay safe out there and just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. For the love of God, please do the right thing. Be, be kind. Be decent. Be kind, be decent. And if people aren't being kind and decent, well, we have to change be, that. Still be kind and decent. Still be kind and decent, but we have to change it. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, thank you very, 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 very much. And may the Force, as always, be with you. <laughs>